Thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's uh, uh, great that we can all gather together uh, this morning. It's uh, lovely to see you. Uh, if you're new or if uh, you're visiting, um, please do come and say hello to me uh, after the service. Uh, it'd be great to get to know you uh, a little bit better. And a special welcome uh, if you're on this very cold morning watching online. It's great that you're able to join us uh, through the medium of technology. Just to let you know where we're going today with the service, uh, we're going to be continuing our series uh, through the book of Micah uh, as uh, we look forward uh, to Jesus's, uh, uh, in the book of the time where Micah was written, Jesus's first coming, uh, but where we are now after the cross as we look forward to Jesus's second uh, coming uh, and the topic of peace, uh, which Neil will help us uh, look into. I don't know what your uh, your day or your week has been like. Uh, I found myself inside a washing machine mentally, uh, so it's my head spinning. Uh, so I think it's probably a good thing for us just to pause for a moment, uh, just to uh, stop uh, and uh, just ready our own hearts, I think, for, uh, for this service. Uh, pray that uh, the Lord uh, would speak to each one of us uh, powerfully uh, through his word and by his spirit that we would know uh, him with us. So let's just take a moment of quiet. Uh, just to ready our own hearts, uh, mindful of uh, offering this time to our Lord uh, as an act of worship. And then I will uh, just read a few verses from one of the Psalms. Let's just take a moment of quiet. David writes this in Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you are indeed uh, not only our Lord, uh, our Saviour, uh, but in each day you are our strength. Thank you that we can stand firm upon you. Thank you that you are indeed our shield. You are the horn of our salvation and our mighty stronghold. Please would you speak to us powerfully this morning. Please would you encourage our hearts. Would you please lift them to the Lord Jesus. And might we find ourselves standing firm on the rock in whom we take refuge. In Jesus name. Amen. Uh, we're coming to that part of the service where we're readying ourselves and our hearts uh, to hear the word of God read and preached. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to invite Terry to lead us in our prayers this morning. Uh, Liz will bring us our Bible reading. And then after that, Neil will unfold scripture for us. So can I invite Terry to come up uh, and lead us in our prayers? Thank you. Morning, everybody. Shall we pray together? Let's pray. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Bow down before him his glory proclaim. With gold of obedience and incense of lowliness, kneel and adore him. The Lord is his name. Lord God, Father, we come to you. We come to bow down to you. We come to bow, Lord God, at the foot of the cross. Lord, we know that's the only place 
that we can ever come to you. We come to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord God, that you are one God, the creator of the universe, the creator of this earth, the creator of each one of us. We know that we owe allegiance to you, Lord God. And we pray that as we seek your face now, that you will be here with us, that you will hear the the thoughts of our hearts, Lord, our words of pleading with you, Lord, for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you are so willing to give, more willing to give than we are to receive. And so we ask you now for your help as we pray together. Lo, at his feet lay thy burden of carefulness. High on his heart he will bear it for thee. Comfort your sorrows and answer your prayerfulness, guiding your steps as may best for you be. Lord, you know what this world is like. You know that it is often a place of great difficulty, even though we have joy here too. Lord, we pray together for those who are in difficulty, who are particularly sad at the moment. So we pray especially, Lord, for Alan in his great loss that he's suffered recently. And we pray, Lord, that you will support him through these early days, Lord. And Lord, there are many others who still grieve losses that they have sustained, Lord, in recent years, and some who grieve losses over from long, long ago and still grieve them, Lord. We pray for each one that they may feel your nearness and that they may be able to find their comfort in you. Come to them, Lord, we pray. And Lord, we pray for those who are afraid in many different ways, And perhaps near to giving up with many problems in life, Lord. And we pray for them that they may find help here this morning in your word. And that they may, Lord, know that you are willing to help them. Lord, help us to pray to you when we need you. We ask for those, Lord, whose home life is very difficult. We pray for each member of those families, Lord. We pray for them that they may again come to you and find in you the perfect help. We pray for those who've been unwell, Lord, for a very long time, perhaps some of them. We pray that you'll sustain them and help them to lean upon you, Lord. We pray that you'll provide them with good medical care. We know some folk, Lord, as we've been thinking about Val recently, and we pray for her, Lord, have chronic health problems, and that we even forget to ask them how they are, Lord. We pray for them, and we ask that you would give them comfort and strength to endure. We ask you, Lord, for parents here. We pray for them, Lord, that they may be wise and kind parents to their children. We pray that they may recommend you to their children, Lord. We pray, Lord, for all the little ones, that they may learn about you and grow to love you whilst they're young. 
We think about the teenagers now this time of the year, Lord, and how A-levels don't seem that far off or perhaps leaving school and looking for work. And Lord, we pray for them all that they may feel your hand upon their lives. And if they don't know you yet, that they will turn to you whilst they're young. Fear not to enter his courts in the slenderness of the poor wealth thou wouldst reckon as thine. Truth in its beauty and love in its tenderness, these are the offerings to lay on his shrine. Lord, we know we must come to you and worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for the truth of the gospel, Lord. We pray that it may rejoice our hearts all the time. We pray that you bless our hearts in that, that we may not run away from this truth, that we have nothing to bring you, Lord, that we come to you just as we are. We pray, Lord, that this truth may be um, real for us, that we may come to you unafraid to see who we are before you. Lord, we thank you for this precious gospel that brings to us salvation, Lord, uh, which has nothing to do with how good or bad we are, but only deals with us as sinners, Lord. We pray for the events that are going to make this gospel known. We, We pray for the Christmas events as they're coming up. Lord, we need your blessing, your power in these things. We pray for the craft nights, especially, Lord, for Liz, in in that she's going to speak in so many of these. We pray for her, Lord. We pray that you will give her a sense of your presence with her and that she may speak the words in the power of your words, in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Please help her in that. Think of those who were baptized recently. We pray for them, that you would keep them from falling, that you would keep them from the attacks of the enemy, Lord, who would just want to discourage them at this time. I pray for them, that they may find their all in you. These, though we bring them in trembling and fearfulness, he will accept for the name that is dear. Mornings of joy give for evenings of tearfulness, trust for our trembling and hope for our fear. Lord, as we look around the world, we know a great deal of evenings of tearfulness and trembling, Lord, as we think of what goes on in places like Ukraine and the Middle East at the moment and so many other places that we forget about. We pray, Lord, for your moving in these situations. We pray for our politicians, Lord, all of them. We pray that you'd make them real statesmen and that we may have honourable politicians, Lord. We pray that all who are involved in these world events may be moved to work for the good and not for selfish gain. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Bow down before him, his glory proclaim. With gold of obedience and incense of lowliness, kneel and adore him. The Lord is his name. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We pray for our missionaries.
We pray especially for the Manga family today, for their clinic, for the schooling for their children. Please answer their prayers and ours. And Lord, we pray for Neil as we prepare to hear your word. We thank you, Lord, for the preparation that's gone in to the preaching. And we pray, Lord, that now that you will touch him with your power and grant him, Lord, your enabling. And we pray for our hearts that we may listen well. And we thank you, Lord, for having bringing your word to us week by week. So, Lord, we commit all of this to you and we commit it with the worship of our hearts, Lord. Amen. The reading today is from Micah chapter 4 and it's verses 1 to 8. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. Morning, everybody. Thank you, Liz, for the reading. Terry, for, for praying for us. Uh, let me just uh, read that verse again as we pray and ask for God's strength now from verse 2. Father God, we pray by the power of your spirit now you would teach us your ways so that we may walk in your paths. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's probably not many of us uh, here who would remember what it's like um, for our country to be at war. I know there's a few, but it's probably the minority. Um, you may not know what it's like to hear the sound of bombs exploding, air raid sirens screaming, people wailing at the news that their loved ones have been killed in battle. For most of us, all we've known in our lifetimes is peace. But as we can see from this map here, there are many people across the world who are currently experiencing conflict. The countries colored light red. Those are countries in the last year that have experienced more than 1,000 deaths in conflict. And those in dark red, more than 10,000 deaths 
in the last year as a result of conflict. There are Christians who um, may live in countries that uh, are not at war, but are ruled by evil and corrupt dictators, and so they live in fear of being imprisoned for their faith or even killed as a result of their faith. But just because our country is not at war uh, and we enjoy freedom, that doesn't necessarily mean that we enjoy peace. There is conflict at different levels. Uh, Last year, there were 47,000 offences involving knives and 2.4 million adults were victims of domestic abuse. Even if we haven't experienced that, we will, I'm sure, all in in some way have experienced uh, tension in, in relationships. And so what we all long for is peace at every level of society and in every relationship. And ultimately, the reason why there is no peace in the world is because Satan, the father of lies, is causing chaos and destruction. And unless we put on the full armor of God, we too will fall victim to his attacks. The good news is that Jesus came as the Prince of Peace. He has achieved the ultimate victory over sin and death. And we look forward to that day when he comes again as he has promised to bring everlasting peace for his followers. We're looking at the book of Micah in this Advent period. And last week we looked at the first two chapters, if you were with us, at the desperate state of the world at that time and how it's not actually that much different from our world today. And the message that God gave his people then was that Jesus would come to warn the world. He would come to grieve over the world. And he would come to bring hope to the world as he freed people from their captivity to sin. As he promised today, one day to return to gather his people to be with him forever. Well, in the passage this morning, we're looking at, um, at what life will look when Jesus does come again. And in particular, what it means to live in everlasting peace. As we said last week, the key themes of the book of Micah are, are judgment and deliverance. Key things that uh, Jesus warned uh, uh, the world about were idolatry, injustice, and denial of the truth. And in chapter 3, the, the chapter we're sort of skipping over this week, um, there again God focuses his judgment, but this time on the leaders of Israel. Um, let's briefly look at verse 2 there. He tells them to listen. You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. Verse 9, he talks about those who despise justice and distort all that is right, who are driven by a love of money. And in the last verse of the chapter, verse 12, the sentence he passes on them is desperate. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. And after that judgment, chapter 4 comes like a breath of fresh air. And again, it provides us with a wonderful hope in the face of despair. That once where there was death and destruction, there will be life and restoration. Where there was war, there will be peace. The difference will be something like this picture here. 
showing the battlefields of the First World War in 1916 to what it looks like in 2005. In Micah's day, this promise was for the future. Chapter 4 starts with the words, in the last days. The prophecy of Jerusalem becoming a heap of rubble was, was fulfilled when it was destroyed by the Babylonians in 587 BC. And so the last days look ahead to when Jesus will come to establish his kingdom. And then further ahead to when he comes back one day to bring his everlasting peace. And we live at a time in history between those two comings. Jesus has already come, but he will come again. So let's start by looking at the first coming. Jesus came to establish his kingdom. And when you read that last verse of chapter 3, you'll be forgiven for thinking, well, surely that's game over for Jerusalem. How do they come back from that? I mean, I know James Bond was blown up, but we know somehow he will come back from that. How does Jerusalem How do God's people come back from this situation? Well, chapter 4 starts with a pretty definitive statement, doesn't it? In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. There's no maybe. It will happen. The ESV translation is even more definitive. It shall come to pass, it says. And sure enough, it did. Because Jesus did come to establish his kingdom. But before we rush ahead, what is the significance of the mountain? Throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament, uh, mountains symbolize the presence of God. I don't know how many mountains you can think about uh, uh, from the Bible. That'd be a good little quiz question, wasn't it? I won't do it for you now, but uh, maybe take it away and have a think about it. But uh, if you think back to the Old Testament, Mount Horeb, do you remember Mount Horeb? Where God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Mount Sinai, where God gave Moses and the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. Again, a symbol of God's special relationship with with his people. Into the New Testament, it was a mountain where Jesus gave his great sermon, wasn't it? The Sermon on the Mount. It was a mountain that he took his three disciples up to where he was transfigured before them. And it was on Mount uh, the Mount of Olives, where Jesus ascended to heaven. So what is it about mountains that symbolizes God's presence? Well, maybe the fact that they, they point to power and majesty, as well as permanence and stability and refuge, all those things that are characteristic of God. So mountains, and particularly here, the highest of the mountains signify God's presence, And that's emphasized here by the fact that the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. The temple was also a symbol of God's presence on earth. That's why God gave his people precise instructions in terms of how to build it and how to worship in it. But when Jesus came to earth, there was no longer any need for a physical temple as a symbol of God's presence because God was now with his people in person. Jesus became the temple. That's why Jesus said to the the Jewish leaders in the book of John, he said this to them. No, I don't think it's on there. Um, 
in the book of John, this is what Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Jesus established his kingdom by allowing his body to be destroyed. He took on himself the punishment for all the sin and the evil of the world, including our own. And after three days, God raised him to life, thereby defeating death so that we too could enjoy life. And it's through trusting in Jesus' death and his resurrection that we are able to be forgiven for the way we have rejected God. We're able to be reconciled to God and we're able to enjoy his peace, to be at peace with God himself. We can become part of Jesus' kingdom. And the amazing thing is that we can enjoy a relationship with the the king. I don't know how many of you have ever seen King Charles in person or let alone uh, spoken to him. And even if you have, I wonder whether he would remember who you are. Sorry to disappoint you with that news. But we can have a personal relationship with the king of the universe, King Jesus. A king who came to earth, the earth he created. A king who lived among the people he created. A king who knows exactly what it is to be tempted, who knows our human weakness. A king who sympathizes with us. A king who sits on his throne of grace to which each one of us has free access. A king who is interested in each one of us, in our our worries, our concerns. He will listen to them. A king whose every action is for our benefit. And a king whose kingdom is open to all nations. Which brings us on to our second point, that people of all nations will want to know Jesus and to follow him. Verse 1 continues, It, that is the mountain of the Lord's temple, will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. I mean, we normally use the word stream, don't we, when we're talking about something going downhill. And so to say people will stream up a mountain is a little bit weird, but I think that's the point, isn't it? That the only reason they're streaming up to it is because the Spirit has caused them to do that. They would not naturally stream to the Lord. And notice this is not an individual thing here. They say to one another, come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. When God calls us to become a part of his kingdom, he often uses someone else to draw us and encourage us. Last week when we heard the testimonies at the the baptismal service of how people had come to faith, it was often through somebody who had said, come, come. For Naomi, a friend of hers, said to her, why don't you come to church with me? First response was not, no, thank you very much, that's not for me. But after the Spirit had breathed new life into her, that next time she was invited to come, she says, yes, I would love to come. I love the bit in Martha's testimony, she didn't mention it last week, but um, uh, when she went into that church one Christmas, 
what stopped her just from turning around and walking out again was a teenage girl who just beckoned her over to a spare seat next to her and said, come, come. And I hope that is an encouragement for us all not to give up praying for others and keep on inviting them to come. We don't know when the Spirit will change their hearts to be responsive to that invitation and when God may be using us to do his work for them. It's not just for those who are not yet Christians, though, is it? How often do we struggle in our faith? We, we don't really feel like going to, to worship. We don't feel like meeting with God's people on a Sunday or, or midweek. And we just need that extra encouragement, don't we, from somebody to say, come, let's go and meet with Jesus and his people. But why will these people be keen to meet with God uh, in those days? What will they be expecting when they do go? Well, verse 2 continues. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. People will want a deeper and more intimate relationship with the Lord. And the way in which that will be possible will be through his word. Last week we saw in chapter 2 that one of the things that God warned his uh, people about through Micah was the way in which they had rejected the truth of his word. And instead they listened to, to false prophets who told them what they wanted to hear. When the future Micah is saying people will flock to Jesus to be taught from his word. Where will that change come from? Will it be some sort of new method or, or preaching technique that, that draws people in? No, it's the fact that God will send his spirit who will change people's hearts. Look what it says in the book of Ezekiel chapter 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What changes God's law from being a set of rules and regulations that are just a burden to keep to something that is a precious thing and a delight to follow is the work of the Holy Spirit. He changes our hearts and wants to makes us want to become like Jesus. What changes us from dragging ourselves out of bed on a Sunday to, to come to church, to looking forward to it with great excitement, is the desire to meet with God. The longing for him to teach us his ways, that he will reveal something more about himself. The desire to be empowered to walk in his paths, to live a life that is pleasing to him. That won't happen automatically. We don't just turn up to church like we do a concert, wondering whether it will be a good one this week. We have to prepare ourselves, our hearts, to meet with, with the Lord. We have to pray and plead with the Spirit that he will work in our hearts. That we may receive from God that what he wants to teach us. We pray that for ourselves. We pray that for, for one another. Because the devil will do all he can to snatch away the word of God before it has had a deep and lasting impact on us. 
And hopefully you pray at, at home before you come to church, uh, that prayer. But if you are able to, can I encourage you to join us um, before church? There's a group of us who meet in the back hall. And it's a wonderful time of seeking the Lord's presence with us and his power at work. There's power in God's people coming together in unity to pray. And that is why prayer will always be a struggle there, isn't it? Because when we pray, we're going into battle. And the devil will try his hardest to stop us praying. What happens in a war when one side uh, mobilizes its big guns? The other side's going to try and take those guns out, aren't they? And when we pray together, we are mobilizing the big guns. And the devil will try and take them out. How many times have you intended to go to a prayer meeting or a, or a home group and something's come up? You feel tired. You feel unwell. Something crops up at work. Or maybe you just remember the last time you went and how irritated you were by those people who sort of waffled on a bit um, or spoke so softly you couldn't even hear them or just prayed about things you didn't really think it was worth praying about. It's easy to think of excuses not to pray. Jesus spent time with his father in prayer all night. He kept praying in the Garden of Gethsemane when all the disciples uh, were asleep. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. But why should we be willing to struggle now? Why, why do we persevere in prayer and worship? Because there will come a day when Jesus comes again, when we will experience perfect peace. And we pray and long for that day that we will stand firm and be there when Jesus comes again. Which brings us to our last point. Jesus' followers will be live, will live in peace and contentment. We heard earlier that uh, Jesus made it possible for us to be at peace with God through dealing with our sin. But sadly, before Jesus comes back, this world is still under the influence of sin. And so people and nations are not able to, to live at peace with one another. In fact, Jesus said to his followers, he said this, when you, you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Which is why we know that this prophecy here must be a prophecy that refers to uh, the end of time. When Jesus comes again, we're told in verse 3, he will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for nations, for strong nations far and wide. Judge here is not so much a determine who is right and wrong and award damages, but it's actually he will put things right. He will settle disputes so that there is no more conflict. That's why it says in Psalm 96, let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. There will be no more injustice, no more conflict, no more war. It doesn't matter if these nations are tiny states or massive superpowers like China, the US, Russia. God will impose his justice on them. There'll be no more rogue states like North Korea or terrorist groups like Hamas. What a relief for Christians in those places. And the result will be peace. 
They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Swords and spears are, are symbolic of weapons of all types. And they will be turned into useful tools like plowshares, which is what goes behind a plow. That's what that uh, sculpture there is indicating. A sword being beaten into a plowshare. A pruning hook is a long pole with a, a curved blade on the end. That's what will happen to spears. They'll be now be useful tools. In modern day language, you could say, well, tanks will be turned into tractors. Which will keep Dave Green very busy, won't it? Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. You don't need a defense budget. Don't need a defense minister anymore. Don't need a nuclear deterrent. Because there will no longer be any prospect of war. And not only will there be peace between nations, there will be peace between individuals. No more rivalry or jealousy or friction or bitterness. No more petty arguments or disagreements. No more loneliness or isolation. No breakups. No divorce. No estrangement. Verse 4 continues, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. And no one will make them afraid. It's a picture of Eden before the fall when Adam and Eve lived in total harmony with one another and with God. We're told they were naked and there was no shame. And God provided for them everything they could possibly want. When Jesus comes again, this earth will be restored to how it was once meant to be. He will give his people new resurrection bodies. And we are told no one will make them afraid. There'll be no fear of conflict or death. No fear of each other. No fear of not having enough. No fear of the future. Each person will be free from worldly concerns and content with God's provision. What a wonderful picture that is. But how can we be sure? How can we be confident in this promise? Well, look at the last line there. The Lord Almighty has spoken. The same Lord Almighty who created this world in the first place, who sent his son to deal with the brokenness of this world. The same compassionate Lord Almighty, who we're told in verse 6, will gather the lame, assemble the exiles. He'll rule over them and with them from that day forward and forever. And we'll look a bit more next week at what that shepherd king will look like in chapter 5. But before we finish, for those who are here this morning who've maybe not yet put their trust in Jesus and who look at the world and just despair about it, maybe you look at your own life and despair about it. There's a promise here that you too can enjoy peace. Peace with God. Whatever happens in this world, you can still have peace in your soul if you put your trust in Jesus and are reconciled to God. On the night before he died, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. 
I hope you'll know that peace for yourselves, the peace that passes all understanding. And to those who already know that peace with God and are, are looking forward to that day when Jesus comes again to restore the world and to bring everlasting peace, let's not forget that we, at the moment, are still at war. So let's not adopt, adopt a peacetime mentality before Jesus comes again. We do still need to be on our guard. We need to be prepared for battle. But we've been given the armor we need to enter that battle. I want to finish by reading from Ephesians 6. If you've got your Bible hand, you might want to follow it. Ephesians 6, 10 to the end. Otherwise, just feel free to listen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled round your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Let's pray now. Maybe just a moment of quiet to reflect on that and on what we've heard this morning from the Lord. And I'll, and I'll pray. Father God, we are only too aware that we live in a world of, of conflict. We pray for those here this morning who may be experiencing conflict in different forms. Father, we assure them of your peace, the peace that passes all understanding. Father, we thank you that we can have peace with you, and that peace for our souls gives us the strength and reassurance to cope with the trials and troubles and conflict of this world. And we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus, that he will one day come back to fully consummate his kingdom, to restore this world to how it should be, to gather his people, to live in it, in everlasting peace. Lord, we long for that day. But in the meantime, Lord, we do pray for protection, protection against the devil until that day Jesus comes and uh, destroys him completely. Lord, we know he's still at work today and we pray you'd protect us from him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Uh, that does bring us uh, to the end of our service. Uh, my prayer is that uh, the Lord met with you this morning, uh, that uh, you heard the still small voice of the Lord uh, speaking to you. Um, please do pray uh, with uh, those around you, those you came with, uh, just to uh, allow the truth that you've heard this morning uh, to settle and warm your hearts uh, as you go from this place. Uh, some words. Well, let's choose the, the verse of the year to encourage our hearts uh, as we go. Uh, Romans 15:13. Paul writes this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.